How did I go from child refugee, enduring all kinds of dangers, moving three different continents by age seven, to becoming a pop star and attaining millions, even helping elect a president, to becoming an entrepreneur, an investor, a philanthropist, an evangelist. This is my crazy, confusing, strange, terrible and miraculous life story. I will share this with you in this extended episode of Headspace. So here is my confusing, sad, tragic, glorious, weird life story, all in one episode, uh, stream of consciousness. I'm going to avoid going on these sort of sidetrack stories uh, because there's many of them to be had. Uh, so I'm going to keep it going in one direction. My first childhood memory was standing outside of a soccer stadium with my mom holding her hand, I was four years old, looking inside because the soccer stadium had been turned into a concentration camp. After 1973 military coup in Chile, tens of thousands of people were arrested all over the country, thrown into all kinds of jails, they were overrunning, they just used soccer stadiums. My dad was on the inside in a concentration camp. They beat, tortured, killed countless people in those places and my dad was lucky enough to get out alive. My mom was pleading with the soldier at the, at the stadium to give him food, and so they took the food, never gave it to him, as we learned later. So we ended up in a refugee camp uh, under the protection of the United Nations with my family. My dad, my dad was so lucky to be there. My mom is Russian, my dad is Chilean, by the way. That's actually the reason why they ended up in that refugee camp, because they were trying to sort of save people with, with married to expats to avoid unnecessary, <laughs> you know, international conflict. Uh, so we were there, we got uh, asylum in Germany. We applied for asylum and we basically had to start over. We, everything, we had to leave everything behind and start over expelled from our very own country uh, without being able to actually come back. So exile is something that I know personally, right? Uh, being a refugee is something that I know personally. Uh, being able to be uh, sort of welcomed into a country is something that I know personally. So I spent a year in Germany and my mom was so shell-shocked that she wanted to go back home so we moved to Russia for a bit. Uh, we ended up really experiencing a lot of poverty there, lived in a communal apartment, you know, one of those places where you share it with another family. So you share a bathroom, a kitchen, a hallway, and we had two rooms for four people. Um, not two bedrooms, two rooms. And it was just, we were poor, 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 poor. My dad got a contract to go to Maputo, Mozambique. That was our another move. I was seven years old when we moved to Africa. And it was a new beginning, and I already knew Spanish and uh, Russian uh, from birth, from my mom and my dad. So I was sort of thrown into this new place, and they sent me to a local African school, and I was hanging out with the kids in the streets. So I learned Portuguese in about a year. The next year after that, they sent me to an English school, to an international school. Uh, and I learned English when I was nine, eight. So by nine, I already knew English. And it was just a very formative time in my life. It was, it was beautiful, it was tropical, it was strange. Uh, it was also, there was also a lot of hardship there. You know, my, my parents were like secular missionaries, right? They were not really 
making a lot of money at all, and they had you know, food, food stamps and food, food rations, actually, not even food stamps. So they had plenty of all kinds of things that were natural to the, to the place, like fish and mangoes and tro tropical fruit. But we had uh, food carts for rice and for bread and for milk. And like, there's just not enough of that stuff. It was just the economy was in shambles. And then on top of that, they had a civil war that happened like about a year after we arrived. So we guerrilla warfare, we had bombings in, in the city, like I saw a plane got shot down <laughs> over, over the Bay of Mozambique, it was like a spy, spy plane from South Africa, and we had bombings, I had a bombing right across the street from me where they blew up, uh, I think it was so, South African commandos blew up the headquarters or offices for the African National Congress, which was Nelson Mandela's party. He was in jail in South Africa at the time. So we experienced all kinds of drama there, and, uh, but it was also very formative. I started doing music there. I was in this Chilean choir. There's a lot of Chileans there for some reason. And I, my voice, I had a natural tone, so they asked me to do solo versions. I fell in love with music. I also was immersed in a lot of local African rhythms and music, and it really had an influence on me. It was just a, a, a strange and beautiful experience all at the same time, and dangerous all at the same time. And um, it ended very sadly because my parents uh, ended up getting divorced. There was infidelity involved. It was just a massive heartache and heartbreak for us. And my mom decided to go back to Russia. My sister and I went with her. When we landed, it was this another culture shock, right? I am this foreigner. You know, I have darker skin. Like I'm the only kid with a darker skin in the whole school. I spoke with an accent didn't fit in. Well, I didn't fit in before either, but, uh, you know, I had to sort of, it was, I was depressed, honestly, because it, we went back to the Soviet Union. It was just dark and miserable. We, we had like a one bedroom apartment. My mom uh, slept in the, in the bedroom, the only little tiny bedroom, my sister in the living room, and I had a pull-out chair in the kitchen. That was, that was my bedroom, right? And I had a little curtain just for privacy. And that was, that was our life. And there was a lack of everything, like food shortages, long hours, you know, you stand in line all the time for basic stuff like bananas, right? It was just miserable, terrible, terrible existence. And, uh, you know, my, my parents on both sides were communists and pretty ideological. So, you know, looking at this reality, I was like, you know what, I don't think communist, communism works very well. It really started to, I started to become aware that this is an ideology that just doesn't work and it sort of it got stronger that feeling got stronger and stronger over time because I ended up studying economics I got a master's degree in economics and I actually studied Karl Marx and wrote papers and I looked at the reality around me and I was like this does not match this is this is wrong it's just there's all kinds of it's all kinds of wrong so I graduated with a degree at the time it was really after the the fall of the Soviet Union so by that time I was what 18 or something like that I had already experienced uh, a military coup in Chile, civil war in Mozambique, and the fall of the Soviet Union. So, you know, civil unrest seems to follow me wherever I go. I'm very worried about Austin, Texas, where I live now. Um, and at the time where I graduated, everybody, it was a, sort of this decade of freedom in Russia that essentially was over after a decade when Putin came to power and started shutting things down. Um, and it was like this free market heaven, right? So all of my friends were going into banking and trade and all kinds of stuff. And I was the, the only 
sort of uh, <laughs> idiot <laughs> that went into music. Uh, but I was just very, you know, I was like, look, I, what do I have to lose? I've, I've, I'm in my early 20s, you know, I think I can do this. So I started doing music and ignored my economics degree. It actually served me well in the long run, but at the time I was doing music. And it was this sort of perfect, you know, alignment of stars. I was exotic looking, exotic looking. I was talented, I worked really hard. The music that I did was sort of in high demand because it was this very Western sounding R&B pop and the Iron Curtain fell and there was this demand in the, in the, in the country for this kind of stuff, for this kind of sound. It was like a Justin Timberlake sound type stuff, right? Um, and um, I became popular in about a year. So I was in a year from starting, uh, which started very, very humbly from nothing. Uh, I was on national television, so I started releasing single after single after single. I was in television, in radio. This is pre-internet, so if you were on television, you were everywhere. And it was not just Russia, it was all of the former Soviet Union republics. So the Baltics, all the way to all the stands. It was Ukraine, all of that, all of that territory. So I got millions of fans and millions of albums being sold, and most of them pirated, by the way. And we started touring, going from small clubs to bigger clubs, from bigger clubs to sports arenas. Every once in a while, we would do an, a, a stadium, even. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. And by the time, uh, you know, I was peaking, I released my first album. And the last single, the very last single I released there in this album was this very anthem song called Our Generation. And, and it was very... It was sort of, it sort of captured, it's like lightning in a bottle. It captured the pulse of a generation and it exploded. I was everywhere. So every club, every disco, every radio station, every, everywhere where young people were congregating, they were playing that song. So it was just, it was an amazing, amazing experience. But then by the time I, I sort of reached that peak, uh, all of the cracks of my character, you know, my pride, my arrogance, my entitlement, you know, my selfishness started showing up and being amplified. And the worst was basically my, my romantic relationships. I was very deeply wounded by my, the divorce of my parents and I didn't believe in marriage because I thought I was, gonna, I was gonna get hurt like my mom did and, or I was going to hurt somebody like my dad did. And I just, I would sabotage every relationship that would even approach being serious. And I would do it over and over and over again. And it was just terrible until something happened that made me sort of face the music, right? And it ha happened to happen at the peak of my career where I ha was having my biggest hit. And I ended up releasing f five or six different albums, you know, over the, of my career. But this was the first album had just been released and I was at the very peak. And I was, you know, my dating life obviously was impacted by this massive fame that I had and uh, I just became just a very superficial vain person basically like there's not not a better way to to put it um, so I was dating this um, runway model which was the thing you do if you're a pop star and uh, she became pregnant we had a baby and I was already sabotaging so I was treating her terribly just terribly said things to her that I'm still deeply ashamed um, of and she walked away and she cut me off and I was heartbroken because I had this miracle of a, of, a, of a child. Her name is Diana, my oldest daughter, and I've lost her and it was because of me. So I was very humbled and I was in this particular humble situation where somebody invited me to a Christian church. 
And it was like, honestly, a random person. I was just so desperate that I was like, okay, I'll go. And I show up and I'm all guarded and, you know, I don't like... When you're a celebrity, you sort of stay away from crowds, right? So I have this shades sitting in the back row being pretty ridiculous. And in the Sunday service, that was just okay. The preacher was amazing. The singing was just okay. You know, I'm a musician, so I'm critical. And uh, But I met this guy. His name is Andy Fleming. And he's a, he, he is this Canadian person who was just serving there as a missionary. And he doesn't know or care who I am. And we started talking. We go out for pizza. And he tells me about the Bible, his life, his family. And, you know, the second time around, I go and visit him and his family. He's had me over to have dinner at his, at his home. And I'm looking at them. And I, I, I realize that this guy has a family, a love, a something that I've never seen before. And something that I have no clue how to get. And I turned to him and it was this really deep sort of, it was this moment of transformation. It was both mundane and supernatural all at the same time because I turned to him and I go, how do I get what you have? And he said, I'll teach you. If you're open to studying the Bible I'll, and you're, you, you'll listen, I'll teach you. And I said, yes, I want, I want to know. And I'm, in that moment, I decided to just do whatever he says because I know he has something I don't. And we studied the Bible in about two and a half weeks. I became a Christian, got baptized, changed my life, repented of all my sins. Most of my friends didn't believe that I was going to change my life or my habits. Uh, and I did. I did. And it changed everything in me. And it gave me my joy, my peace back. I started learning, relearning relationships, character, friendships, business, finance, all of it was now being sort of reframed by scripture and mentorship in my life. And after that, things had started even evolving in a bigger way, even in my career for, for some amazing reason, right? It's uh, uh, Boris Yeltsin was already president and he was getting reelected. And this was the last time the president, the, the communists were winning in the polls before the election. It was 1996. And by then, I was a very, very convinced anti-communist type person, right? Although my parents were communist. Um, and I studied it in, in, in college. I actually read Karl Marx, and I did papers, and I was looking at everything around me. And I, I was very, very devoted to the cause of defeating the communists, because I think there was a tragedy for the country if they came back. So I threw myself into a campaign, and I was lucky enough and fortunate enough for the campaign of Boris Yeltsin to use my song, Our Generation, as the anthem. One of the main songs that they used in all their ads and stuff like that was my song. And I was on television campaigning very directly for Boris Yeltsin against the communists. I went on tours, multiple cities, and it was, it was an amazing experience. I'm still very proud of what we did back then. Although, obviously, the democracy didn't last in Russia. But at the time, it was a historic moment, and I was privileged to be a small part of it. Um, and at the time, by the way, also a little bit of a side, side note, but, you know, you, can, you campaign for a candidate in the U.S. and your guy doesn't win, you, sort of, or you might be disappointed. For us, if the communists had won, we, the, losing our career was sort of the, the best-case scenario, right? It would have been worse. But at the time, you're in the 20s, you're invincible, you don't think bad things can happen to you. So we just threw ourselves into it and, and Yeltsin won. It was an amazing experience. So all kinds of things happened that sort of took my trajectory upward from that moment. It was that, it was my career was growing, um, I started serving the poor, 
very actively. We did amazing programs for the orphans, like three, three or five thousand orphans. I visit orphanages, orphanages all the time, became friends with them. I invested my heart to, uh, into the needy and to the underprivileged, and it changed my life. Uh, one of our events, Michael Jackson came to our event, which was just remarkable. Also a side story that I'm not going to go into. Um, I met my wife, Deb. She was in Los Angeles. I was in Moscow. I went there for a conference. And it was this, by the time I had been retrained, like healed. And, and I, I saw her and I fell in love with her. And she, you know, I courted her and she came to Russia and we got married. We had, you know, 1,800 of our closest friends at our wedding. Our first kiss um, was um, at our wedding on that stage. That's a very different life, isn't it? And then shortly after, another miracle happened. My, my daughter, Diana, through a long series of amazing uh, things, things that happened, like a chain reaction of things, actually got my daughter, Diana, back. Her mom uh, moved back into the country, into the city. She had become a Christian overseas. And um, I got my daughter back. She was six years old. And as I, was, I got my daughter back, uh, we found out that Deb was pregnant with Violetta. So Diana was there when Violetta was born, her sister. And um, it, was just, it was just a miracle, still one of the biggest miracles of my life. Um, so I started serving in ministry as well. I thought, look, if I can entertain millions over here and I don't use those talents to impart change and transformation spiritually, uh, you know, what am I doing? So I started doing ministry as well and leading an amazing group in Moscow, amazing ministry of hundreds of people. Um, and I sort of phased out of music eventually because I found this more, to be more meaningful. And uh, my, my daughter Vivi was born, and then we were asked and invited to lead a church in Kiev, Ukraine, and that's our Ukrainian connection. So my mom is half Ukrainian, half Russian. My grandfather, he fought in World War II, went through the whole war to, all the way to Berlin. He's Ukrainian. So we moved to Kiev. And uh, we spent a year there helping a, a large church, about 3,000 people, seven different churches, and the biggest one in Kiev. And um, my daughter, Bella, was born there. So uh, I will allow myself a side note here because my, where we lived and where my daughter, Bella, was born, a lot of the footage from Bucha, you know, which is, if you'll recognize and Google it, uh, the atrocities of the of the Russian occupying uh, army in in Bucha was literally the neighborhood next next to my neighborhood. Some of the footage that we see of terrible stuff being done to civilians in in Ukraine was in my neighborhood. Uh, so it's just really heartbreaking. And we eventually launched the Ukraine Relief Network, and we have two two centers in, in Lviv and Kiev helping the refugees. And we're incredibly successful and blessed to be able to have an impact there to help refugees in, in Kiev. And of course, I have a heart also not only for Kiev, but for refugees because I am a refugee. So from Kiev, we ended up moving to the States. Um, we did work in the U.S. and overseas, all over Latin America, serving the poor for a few years. We started a company in Los Angeles called Hollywood World, and we did sort of high-end music videos and music production sort of a mom and pop business that did really well. 
and we did it for Eastern European artists in Hollywood. It was sort of a combination of my connections and network and capabilities and Deb's because Deb used to work for MTV and VH1 and she was very, very connected in LA. We ended up in Austin, Texas of all places because we wanted to start a community of faith here. And we had friends who wanted to help us and sort of happened to be a great place for it. And we also started a company. So the community was called Tribe. Rostin Christian, atxtribe.org if you want to look it up. And the business was called Third Drive, thirddrive.co or thirddrivemedia.com. And it was a marketing business. Uh, and at first we, we just did video marketing, then we expanded into websites and design and all kinds of things and stra strategies. Um, and there was a community that just was just a little startup of a faith community that called Tribe and it grew and eventually we actually sent the mission team and we started another one in the East Austin. It's an amazing, amazing group of people that I love deeply and very invested in. Um, and then Third Drive became also a venture development company. So we, I met this amazing human being, Brandon Nicely, who you probably know from some of the stuff that we put out there together, uh, who became my best friend and he's a genius in strategy and startups and capital and I wanted to learn from him and he wanted to learn some of the stuff that I was doing. So that's how I made the jump from, from media production and marketing to tech investor, right? Uh, and, and business development guy. And, and, and we are now coaching people and raising capital for people and doing marketing for people. And then we're building this faith community here and then we launched a nonprofit called the Send Mission Fund. And it was just that same heart of serving the poor. And we have an academy in Maputo, Mozambique, and I just wanted to give back and I wanted to, you know, plant a little seed of entrepreneurial missions, essentially, in Maputo. And we have a group of kids there who are among the poorest of the poor, who have an after-school place, a second home, where they can learn computer skills, English, and character. Um, we also launched the Ukraine Relief Network when the war broke out and the Russians occupied Ukraine. It was just super tragic, but we're so blessed to be able to do some amazing work there uh, through the Ukraine Relief Network. So I'm telling you all the story because it has these ups and really pretty bad downs and high, uh, you know, high mountains and low valleys. Because I look around me now and I see myself as, you know, the luckiest man in the world. Somebody who was not really destined to have any of this, right? Like, if you think about that kid standing, you know, outside a concentration camp with his mom, about to lose everything they had, start a new future, didn't know what's, what was going to happen, to where I am now, it, it's just, you know, it doesn't make any sense. I have an amazing marriage. I come from three generations of broken homes and I'm deeply in love with Deb and I love my kids and they're respectful and wonderful and brilliant and have their own vision of life and their own opinions and they're impressive, right? And they love me and respect me back. Uh, uh, we have an amazing business. We have impact in the business world. We have impact for the poor. We have eternal impact in, in ministry. All of that is because 
of three things. And that's sort of why I'm telling you this longer story, right? And I can, of course, I'm, I can give you a longer list, but I want to focus your attention on three things that I think are responsible for the key transformation here. First of all, it's transformative ideas, right? Is if you latch on to ideas that, can, that are perhaps difficult and they challenge you to change, um, but they can redirect your life forever, they're worth exploring and worth being a great apprentice of and apprenticing under somebody. It, they're really worth it. And that's probably the most brilliant thing. The, the most brilliant thing I did is to not is to release control and to apprentice under, under somebody who knew what they were talking about in all full humility and surrender. The second idea is that the blueprint for human success, I'm absolutely convinced of this, is the Bible. This is the blueprint. This is how you are designed to be, to flourish, to your fullest, fullest potential. And you may not believe in God, I get it. I'm just telling you, this is what I know. The Bible is the blueprint for human flourishing and human success. And if you study it, if you approach it in community, in humility, willing to change, it will change your life forever. The third thing I wanted you to sort of take away from this story is that no matter your starting point, you can be a victim today, but you don't have to stay a victim. You can be a victor tomorrow. No matter how low your starting point is, what you sometimes call a disadvantage, your suffering can be turned into a superpower. And I'm absolutely convinced of that as well, that some of my... My, base, my, my best capabilities, my deepest insights, my greatest superpowers are all sourced out of suffering. So if you have suffered, all of us suffer. Sometimes we're victims of something. A lot of the times where the suffering is actually self-imposed, including myself. I've hurt myself more than people hurt me. But if you learn from it, and you don't get stuck with the suffering. You can turn that and be transformed into having superpowers that you can serve people with. And that's sort of the ultimate arch of my life is I am, am the luckiest man in the world. I've had opportunities beyond belief and, and I've had impact beyond anything I've ever dreamt of. And I'm continuing to have that impact. And my ultimate mission in life is to take what I've been given and serve as many people as possible. So I hope you've enjoyed this story. It is very strange, I know, very confusing, uh, but I really think it's also inspiring. Uh, it's a cautionary tale for things that you shouldn't be doing, but it's also an inspiration, I think, because you can learn from my mistakes and not repeat them. And you can also turn suffering into superpower. You can also turn to the Bible as the blueprint for human success. And you can also latch on and hunt for and dig for the gold of transformative ideas that can change your life forever. And this is what I'm about. This is why I do what I do, including Headspace. Thank you for listening. I hope this enriches your life. Thank you. We can sing to the sound of our own
the palm trees come fly high.